Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Debating Metal. It's me, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, with my co-host, Chris Kay. It's that time of the week again where you sit back, relax, and settle in for another exciting episode of Debating Metal. This week, we have a new head-to-head for you. It's Def Leppard High and Dry versus Pyromania, two of the new wave of British heavy metal stalwarts' earlier albums and probably two of their best. We're going to review all the tracks from both albums, offer our opinions on each, and then at the end, we'll determine which album we think is better. We're also going to have a new Rusty Metal and a new Freshly Forged for you. Definitely stick around until the end where we'll give you our big four Def Leppard songs. As most of you know, Rusty Metal is my pick of a classic metal album that you may or may not know, but you should listen to again. And Chris offers a Freshly Forged pick, which is a recommendation of a new album that he thinks you might like. So if you like what you hear today and want to check out some of our other episodes, be sure to subscribe to our show. We're on all the major platforms and even some not-so-major ones. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and pretty soon YouTube pages. And while you're on our social media pages, be sure to check out Kenneth Dean with Rusty Metal Plus where he gives you more details about his Rusty Metal pick. So, what is your Rusty Metal pick this week? This week, uh, we're going, I don't want to say outside the box, we're keeping within the same realm of style of music, and basically, even though Def Leppard started out as a British, the new wave of British heavy metal band, they turned into like a pop metal band, and then slowly drifted into just kind of like a pop hard rock band. Um, So this band is White Lion, with their debut album, Fight to Survive, which came out in 1985. It was released on Grand Slam Records here in the U.S., and it was produced by Peter Hawk, uh, and it was recorded at Hotline Studios in Frankfurt, Germany. Now, White Lion signed a record deal pretty much about a year after, maybe even less than a year after they formed. Uh, They formed in 83. They signed a record deal with Electro Records in 1984, and they recorded this album, Fight to Survive. Um, Electro Records decided that they uh, they, I guess they didn't like it or they didn't want to put money into it or something. They basically backed off the album. They took it from the band and they shelved it. They basically said, we're not doing anything with it. And they subsequently dropped the band. Um, so Grand Slam Records purchased the album from Elektra and they released it in 1985. And then later that year, the band's management was able to license the album and then they released it in Japan on Victor Records. And it became a kind of a, I guess you could say a, a, a small hit in Europe, which is where the album broke first. So that that's pretty cool. So it, it started to break worldwide before it even broke in the U.S. The album contains the hits Broken Heart, Fight to Survive, All the Fallen Men, and Kid of a Thousand Faces. And Broken Heart was re-recorded six years later and released on the main attraction album and reached number 61 on the Billboard charts. So they had they, it was a single. It didn't do real well when it first came out. Um, and so years later on, when, when they were recording their main attraction album, they wanted a song, or I guess the, 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 the record label wanted a song that they thought would be a, 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 obviously a, a hit for them. And, and so they suggested to go back to the first album, re-record the song Broken Heart. And that's a really good song. That's one of their best songs. I actually like the original much better than I do the, the re-recorded version. Anyway, um, 
this album is, is just dripping with hooks. It's got really cool riffs. And Vito Brada and Mike Tramp, um, Vito Brada playing guitar and Mike Tramp on vocals, they formed the songwriting team that would work together for eight years before the band disbanded permanently. White Lion would go on to have success with their next albums, Pride and Big Game, but the band would splinter in 1991 with the departure of James Lomenzo and Greg D'Angelo, and eventually they folded later that year in September of 91 following their last show in Boston. This album was is a really, really, really solid album. It you know those songs that I mentioned before, uh, "Broken Heart," "Fight to Survive," "All the Fallen Men." Those are really strong songs. When you listen to them, you hear those hooks. They're really, really good hooks, and they used that style of songwriting on the subsequent albums. But for whatever reason, they were they kind of got caught up into that generic hair metal phase and. And they never really broke out the way some of the other, like, you know, like the bands like Poison and Cinderella. They never got past that level. I I don't even think they became headliners at any point, except maybe in small clubs. So it's unfortunate. And then some other circumstances um, eventually led to Vito Brada quitting the music business altogether. So uh, that's that's where it ended up. White Lion tried to resurface some years later with Mike Tramp. But Vito Brado put a shut uh, put a put an end to that, and he shut it down. So um, this is a pretty good album. Pick it up. It is available out there. Uh, Rock Candy Records did a remaster, a re-release of this album, and it came with some bonus tracks. So it's pretty cool. You can still listen to it on Spotify and all the major streaming platforms. So pick it up, give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. Very cool. We'll definitely do that. All right, for this week's Freshly Forged, I have a band that formed back in 1984. Uh, so, been around for a long time. Been through some some pretty decent, decently big uh, lineup changes. But what we have here is all of those lineups kind of coming back together. Um, this is Halloween with their new album, Halloween. Uh, I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, this is the first album that has Kai Hansen back since 1988's Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2. He was the original singer for the band. He was he sang on the the album Walls of Jericho in 1985. But after that, they brought in Michael Kiske, who sang on the next four albums and then left the band in 1993. Um, then you have... Uh, Andy Darris, who's been the singer ever since. So you have all the generations of this band kind of back together. Um, and they sound great together. Uh, the, f- the first two singles, definitely check those out because they're, they're easily readily available. You can find them on YouTube, anything. The album should, you know, is out and, and you can check out the whole thing. But the first two singles, I was just blown away by. And those are um, Skyfall and Fear of the Fallen. And they sound great together. These guys have aged very well vocally, and they they mesh really well. I guess I I don't know all the ins and outs like as far as the the deal that they've made to come back together, but they all seem to be getting along really well. The egos are set aside, and they're just having fun with this. And it's really cool to see a band that's been around this long kind of bring everybody back into the fold and and put out something that's just really a lot of fun. Um, if you're a diehard fan and you've been through all the generations of the band, definitely check it out because you're going to enjoy it. If you're somebody that maybe only liked one of the singers and, and you know, kind of fell off from, from listening to them, uh, like maybe when like Michael Kiske was, was 
the singer that I, I I enjoyed the most and I remember the most of. And then I kind of I kind of dropped off. But like hearing all these guys together and singing singing so well, it's so cool to kind of go back and listen to some of the older stuff that I missed too. So definitely check this one out. It's it's out now, and I I, I just know you're gonna enjoy it. You know. When I was a senior in high school, right before I graduated and moved to Miami, I walked into a record store in Yonkers, and this guy was playing something I had never heard of before, and it was really, really fast, and it had very powerful vocals. And I said to the guy, what is that that you're listening to? And he shows me the album cover, and it's Halloween's Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 1. And I'm like, I want that. And I bought it right then and there. I mean, that's that's how powerful that album was back then. And it's a really, really good album. So if it's anything remotely closer to stuff that they played in the late 80s and early 90s, this album's got to be good. I haven't yet to hear it. Uh, I am going to listen to it tomorrow on my drive to work. Um, hope, you know, they've got like, what, 100 members in the band now because everybody reunited. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like seven it, guys I now. mean, it's seven guys. Seven yeah. guys. That's still a lot. That's more than Iron Maiden, you know. <laughs> so they got they to. But it's it's really cool and they mesh really well together. That's that's the thing. Like, you know, a lot of times when you see these big overbloated, like bloated bands, overblown, like just, just too much, um, like it can it can sound muddy or you know just kind of silly but this works they they do have three guitarists they have three singers but three guitarists and three singers yeah because kai hansen was a guitarist and a singer when they brought him back in he's doing both but what what ends up happening is instead of it just feeling too layered and overlapped like they mix it well and they they interweave the music so that there there's you know there's a balance there and it doesn't feel like it's just muddy, like I said. That's cool. I, I, I'm definitely going to check it out. And like I said, I, I've, I've lost Halloween somewhere along the way. Um, I I know they, they're Kiss fans because they did some really cool Kiss covers over the years. So I, mm-hmm. I like the, the covers that they do. Um, I never, I kind of got lost right after Seven uh, Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2 uh, and never really got back into them. And I've picked up mm-hmm. a couple things here and there, but never really, you know, opened up to them again so i'm I'm definitely gonna check this out um i i from what you're telling me it sounds like it's really cool so i'm gonna probably enjoy myself anyway now we are up to our main topic and it is def leopard high and dry versus pyromania i'm gonna do high and dry first or i'm gonna introduce high and dry and then you'll do pyromania and these two albums, I, I got to say, they're they're, you know, they're the the second and third album that was released by Def Leppard, and the first one, I believe, to to the first two, I guess, to be done by Robert John Mutt Lang, and you can see the difference from On Through the Night to High and Dry, the drastic difference what a producer can do for a band, but it also shows when you go into to listen to High and Dry, it shows. Now, I don't want to call it like the maturity of the band. So much so is that you you see with all these albums that progress, and, and for those people out there who have followed Def Leppard's career, you will notice the gradual progression of the more mature style of music that they play with each progressing album. But 
it, it's amazing how they had such a vision and such a focus in 1981, basically a year after they released their debut album, and how I almost I would say there's a drastic change from the first album to this one, uh, to High and Dry, and then for obviously each album progressively got different and different and different in terms of style, and and that's why we picked these two particular albums because they're the closest thing to their old style. So, anything you have to say about High and Dry, real quick? I mean, the biggest thing that stands out to me as like these early albums is that they did start off as more of a hard rock band uh, with with a metal aspect. And then you can see, as like you said, with each album, they become more and more pop metal. Um, and you can see a difference between High and Dry and Pyromania in the inclusion of the producer. Um, it's it's. They are the most similar of their albums, uh, but there also is a distinct difference when you get somebody that's from outside the band kind of involved with the the songwriting, and I think it's very evident. Um, But that being said, they still are the closest in terms of of songwriting and style of anything else they produced. Right, exactly. All right, so High and Dry came out in 1981. It was produced, like I said, by Robert John Mutlang. It was recorded at Battery Studios in London, England, and it was released on Mercury Records. Um, so before I go into the songs, I, I got to address the album cover. That's a really weird album cover. And I I know that the album uh, cover was done by um, Hypnosis. And they're famous for doing the Pink Floyd albums, Led Zeppelin albums, Rainbow, UFO, to name a few. They've done a ton of music or musical artists over the years. And they have a signature style. And you can tell their style when you see. I mean, they've they done they did um sticks, pieces of eight. That just the way they photograph people and the way that they basically cut and paste the objects into the album cover, they have a very signature style. But I don't get this. Like to me, the album's called High and Dry. There's a certain meaning behind High and Dry that this, to me, this album cover just doesn't relate to. Um, the The album cover, in my opinion, does not translate to what the album, the music, or the band are. Now, to me, there's like a disconnect, and and I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's weird to me. I mean. It it's very of the times, and there is kind of like this funny play on words where, I mean, the guy's diving into a pool, and he's almost hovering above the water, dry hasn't hasn't hit the water yet, and so there's this kind of sense of it's about to or he's about to break into the water, you know, it's that moment right before. So there's there's this kind of intrigue uh, when I see it that uh, you know it's interesting it grabs your attention in some way yeah it does and the, and the colors are offset so you have a center image where the guy's diving into a pool it's all in color and then they're surrounded by these guys looking up to the sky it's it's interesting like I, I, I don't know what to say other than that and uh, it does kind of 
make you, you know, kind of question what's going on. Yeah, I mean, look, I have tremendous respect for hypnosis and, and the work that they do. I mean, they do some really good work. And this is not bad work. I'm not saying it's bad at all. It's just weird to me. Um, you know, like you, you look at the at, at Pyromania, and it's a building that has a... And you, it has a crosshair. Right, the crosshairs. And so you're zooming in on this fire in the middle of the building. So it, there, at least there's fire. It's related to the album title, Pyromania. So there's something there that's related. And typically, I mean, most album covers have some sort of connection. Not all of them, obviously. But it was just so... Pyromania, though, like as cool as it looks, and it's it's got a very 80s aesthetic to it, My I guess to a degree my problem with it is I don't understand what this, the uh, the crosshairs... Like, it, it is supposed to look kind of like you're zooming in through a scope. Mm-hmm. It, I don't get... Like, what... Is it like a... They launched a rocket at it. Like pyromania typically would just mean you know like you're burning something down. I don't know. It's just it's a cool album. Like I don't. I never read too much into the image, um, but I guess by by pyromania they had kind of developed a style because then you've got hysteria, adrenalize, uh, retroactive is not great, but um, you know the those. Earlier albums all kind of had a, a certain style to them. Yeah, Adrenalize, whereas they hadn't, and, and, and Pyromania all have some similar style. That that is yeah, they had right. they hadn't quite gotten there yet because if you look at On Through the Night, that is an awful album cover. It, it's an, it's funny. It's an awful <laughs> album cover. But then Dave Ellison uh, did that that bass album of his or whatever solo album. I don't know, what, mm-hmm. and he used that same exact cover. He just changed the guitar neck from a from a like a Gibson Les Paul to his his. Yeah, is, uh, ESP bass. So it's it's kind of funny, um, and you know that's just paying tribute to something that he liked when he was a kid. Yeah, I get yeah it. and you never what know what inspires you know people like that. That's that's an awesome tribute to to do something like that. Um, but as far as like, I don't have a problem with either of the album covers. I think they're they're both kind of cool. And like I said, this one always just like kind of drew my attention like, I, like what's going on here <laughs> yeah i mean it was funny it's one of those things i never thought about and then i just started staring at it one day i'm like what the hell is going on here but it's you know album covers are meant to attract you regardless mm-hmm. of what the music is inside of it and if there if you look at an album cover and you go oh that looks cool no matter what it is you're probably gonna buy it and that's the whole idea you know and and this one looks cool it's just strange when you compare it that's all so anyway enough of me complaining about nothing (laughs) (laughs) all right so high and dry the first song on high and dry let it go um i mean what a way to start an album uh i mean it's got a killer guitar riff it's got a killer melody i mean this song just totally rocks right off the gate i mean it, it just goes straight into your face it kicks your ass and it is by far one of my favorite Def Leppard songs of all time. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it's a really great riff. Um, it's a bit more hard rock than what you'll hear with some of their like most famous songs, and I really like that. I like I, I like the sound of high high and dry. I think it's it's uh it's a little more raw. You know, something that we've mentioned many times before. Mm-hmm. There's one moment in in the song that I really like, uh, right around the two minute mark, where. Uh, Joe kind of sings Let It Go kind of in a slower uh, pace. And it gives me like these these kind of Leonard Skinner vibes from some of their their 80s songs. 
um, which I think is kind of cool. And then um, my favorite part of the track is right after that section uh, when the guitar kicks back in, and I just love that riff. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the way to that that the guitar solo just kind of just it's just that uh, it's it's a hard it's an, it's, a, it's a scratchy thing that just gets louder and louder and goes into that ripping solo. It's a really cool mm-hmm. song. So that's just a, for me a great way to start an album out. Um, the next song is another hit and run, and you almost feel like it it, it kind of slows things down to a degree. It's not one of my favorite Def Leppard songs, but it's got a cool riff and it's got a very cool vocal melody. So it keeps the, it it definitely slows it down, but it keeps the vibe going. It's still got some coolness to it. And you, 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 you know that it's, you, you've listened to now two good songs, you know, let it go, kick your ass. And now it's like, all right, now I can breathe. Um, you know, I like the way the intro builds into the main part of the song. And then you go into, into the rest of the song from that point. It's like I said, it's not one of my favorite songs on the album, but it's still a good song. Yeah. I mean, I really like the opening riff uh, and I like how it's kind of mirrored throughout the song. It's repeated uh, during the chorus and then they they play a variation of the same thing through throughout the song. Um, it's not like you said, it's not as strong as Let It Go, um, but it has a really cool like moody vibe to it. And I really like the first solo by uh, by Steve Clark, but I don't know what they were thinking with Pete Willis's solo. The second one, it just it's just like this whittly whittly. It, it doesn't it doesn't do anything. It's just there, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, that tells you a lot about Pete Willis. <laughs> uh, yeah, more on that later. Exactly, more on that later. Um, yeah, it, it's a cool song, but it's not you know. It's not the best, but that leads us into High and Dry, Saturday Night. So back in the day when when this album was big on MTV, you know, they had a video for Let It Go. They had a video for High and Dry, Saturday Night. They had a video for Bring It On The Heartbreak. All three videos were concert style videos, performance videos, if you want to call them that, on a stage. The band wears the same exact outfits in all three, so you're thinking it's a concert. But the problem, the funny thing about it is that they're lip syncing to the to the track, so it's not played technically live. And every time I hear these songs, I think of of Billy Squire and the and the um, the Don't Say No album that he had because he had the same kind of conceptual videos, and he had the same thing. He had like two or three songs from the same performance. And it, almost the same type of lighting, very dark, just a straight stage. And and Billy Squire at the time had a very similar haircut, the curly hair that Joe Elliott had. So it was there was so many similarities between Squire and Joe Elliott and Def Leppard and, and these videos that it, it every time I hear these songs, it brings me back to that time in 1981 where that MTV had just started and these videos were being played over and over again. And this song, High and Dry Saturday Night, was played a lot. So much so, it's like in the top 100 VH1 hard rock heavy metal songs of the of the 80s. And this song, it's got a killer riff. You know, much slower than the than, than the first two songs, but not like a ballad slow. It's just kind of got that really slow groove to it. 
and it's a little plotting. Yeah, yeah. it's very plotting, but I mean, it's got a killer hook to it as far as the the chorus is concerned because it picks up the pace a little bit during the chorus, and then it brings it back down during the verse. So it, it's a cool song in that regards, and it's got really good hooks. It's just you know, to me, I mean, it's probably like it's you got ten songs in the album, so it's got you know it's top five of the songs on the album, but it's it's definitely not one one or two in my opinion. But that's a different story. This song brings back so many memories. Let it go, same time period, but it's it's high and dry that brings you because you see the spotlight hit Pete Willis, and he you know he starts that, you know however that riff goes at the beginning, and it's just him, and I just it goes straight back to that point every time I hear this song. So it's it's pretty cool. You know, honestly, with high and dry, it's I I get the appeal. But it's one I've just never cared for. Um, to me, it feels like kind of like a weak ACDC track. I, like I just I get that same kind of vibe. Um, I get that. I will I will say the the vocal mixing is kind of unique and cool. Like there's a, there's a sound to the way this track was mixed and recorded that is really ni- like it's nice it, the way that that Joe sounds, um, but. It's just never been one that I, that really appealed to me, but then again, like I said, I I can totally see why people like it. Right, it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's a, it's a hate it you know love it hate it type relationship with the song because it has mm-hmm. it has things that can make it cool, and then there's things you're like yeah why you know, but yeah mm-hmm. it's it's cool. All right, number four, bringing on the heartbreak. Um, this is the first Def Leppard video that I, uh, I saw, like, you know, all these three videos, you know, like I, I just mentioned, were being played on MTV. Bring No Heartbreak, I think, was the first one. I fell in love with this song the first time I heard it. I thought it was really, really good. And to this day, it's one of my favorite tracks from Def Leppard. Um, it's got a, a great riff to it. It's got a great melody. Um, I mean, it has hooks galore in it. There's there's this emotion that this song has because it's a ballad, if you want to say, before ballads were big. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was before the every rose has its thorns. It was before the you know don't don't know what you got till it's gone. It was before that, and yet this, this there was a this was to me the definitive beginning kind of style to what you would say is a power ballad. Because there is a lot of power behind the song, and then that that point that point where it breaks down at, in the middle end, where you know he he goes down to a whisper, the song goes silent, and then he just screams into the the, the last part of the song. It is that, that that's a powerful you know way to, to 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 do your performance on a song. I I really like the way it came out. However, they did a remix. A year later, because of the 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 popular, or not a year later, a couple years later, because of the popularity of Pyromania, and they trashed the song. They they did mm. you know that high slick production, uh, everything compressed. Um, they threw keyboards in it and they ruined the song completely. I listened. Yeah, I I, I don't like that version. No, either. it's terrible, terrible. But luckily. You know, they no longer, it's, it's weird, they no longer have it on the CD version that you can buy. 
but if you get the the early years box set, it's been added back onto that, which is fine because you, you're going to throw a bunch of junk on a box set like that. That's fine. Yeah, you should have access to all of it on a box set. Like, right, exactly. I have no problem. And I, I still have the CD that has that song on it. I mean, I don't think I've ever listened to it. You know, other than you know, to 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 get an idea of how bad it sounds compared to the original, <laughs> but um, <laughs> like you know, me and my wine, I like the remix better than the original. I think they did a good job. But when it comes to and me and my wine was a B side to to uh, I think it was High and Dry, so they did a better job with the remix on me and my wine, and that actually became a kind of a, 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 a not a major hit. It was a, a small hit for them in between. This and and uh, which we call actually after Pyromania came out, so it's one of those weird things because they got so popular that they brought back older stuff to to try and milk the cow. Yeah, I mean when when you're on a high and the the fans are just clamoring for more, sometimes there's just not more material there, so you bring back something that came before. And uh, it doesn't always work out. <laughs> uh, but this version of the song, the, the album version, um, I love this track and the instrumental that follows. Uh, Clark's solos, they're short, but they just there's so much emotion poured into them. It's, it's just awesome. And then I love how the song just leads directly into Switch uh, 625. Uh, they're, to me, they're one song. Yes and no. I, I I cut it off once I start hearing that bass. <laughs> um, but as I've gotten older, I've been able to to appreciate switch uh, switch six twenty five a little bit more. Um, it's a okay instrumental. You know, it's nothing to really to write home about. There's some pretty good guitar solos in there. Um, you know, it, it's got the same production as the rest of the album, same sound and all that stuff. It's it's an instrumental, you know, this is not an instrumental band. So it's one of these things where, you know, what's the point? Because they don't, they don't really do money instrumentals in any other album. You know, it's not like how Metallica does one almost every album. So it's, it's, it's a strange, not bad. It's got a cool bass line, but nothing to write home about for me, at least. I, could not disagree with you more. <laughs> um, to me, it's it's one of those. It's a showcase of like how really how talented Steve Clark was. Um, I love the alternating riffs. It's it's just I, I the, the there's this kind of repeating pattern, and then he alternates it to a different version of the same pattern, and it's it's just really well done. I I love this track. I always have, and. Um, yeah, I definitely could not disagree with you more. No, on, and, and, on, and that's uh, fine. I mean, like I said, it's to me, it's a throwaway. But you know, other people like it. You like it. I mean, it, there's songs that plenty of people like that I don't like. You know, that are metal. It's well, you don't. I mean, you don't have to justify. No, it. Like, if you, it, you don't like what you don't like. Exactly. So, but you know, the part of that, part of the issue with it is, is that, uh, and I'm going to go into it now with with you got me running, is that. I didn't fully appreciate this album until now, until this year, 2021. Mm. I've had this album in my possession since 1981. And I never appreciated its genius until now. You know, and, and the part of that has to do with 
listening to Switch 625, because I gave, I've given it a chance and I've listened to it, and I understand you know, I, I, the guitar solos are, are really cool. They do go, you know, the, the way they trade back and forth. It is it is definitely well done. It's something to me that, we, you know, when you're in the middle of a concert, they're going to expand on that and they're going to turn it into, you know, their time to basically have a guitar solo for the two guys. And so that, and that, and that works. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's one of these things where I didn't really get it until now. And when I, gotcha. and, 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 and it was really, cause I bought the box set because I wanted the remastered version of this album because I wanted the original version of me and my wine that I didn't have. I wanted a remastered version of on through the night. So I got this box set and it's really cool. Although oddly enough, if you're going to put out a box set that's supposed to look like a record and how, it, how a record can, can basically uh, wear away on the front, right around the circle edge of the, of the album, make it 12 inches big. Don't make it 10. That just that just really weird. Yeah, That's a, that I, whole thing was weird to me. Make it the full size, you know, and that way, it looks like an album in in your collection. But now you have an, uh, a box that yeah, it's, it's CDs in it, but it doesn't look like an album, even though it's supposed to look like an album. So it's just kind of weird. But that's neither here nor there. The remastering was done really, really well. And that, that's the other good thing. The, the bonus stuff on that album is really good. And we're not here to talk about that, but it has has to do with this. I listened to that album, and I think you and I were talking about it. I think I listened to it for a week straight when I got it, just high and dry, because I was like, man, this is a really good album, more than I thought it was to begin with. And I always thought it was a great album. And it's because of the next song, You Got Me Running. Song number six on the album it is a really good song. And I, I never knew that that song was on there because I never got past switch 625. I never flipped it over. I never passed it on the CD because I didn't want to hear anything else on the end, you know, because everything on side one was pretty good or the first half of the album, you know? So once I got to switch, switch six, six twenty five, I was like, I don't want to hear anymore, you know? And I, I would either go back to let it go or go back to bring it on heartbreak. But Listening to You Got Me Running, what a great riff. The intro is so cool in, in its buildup. And then the chorus is just that amazing melody and that incredible hook that the song has. It's it's such a good song that I've missed for the last 30-something years. You know? It's so <laughs> weird. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before where you, you didn't kind of listen to the whole album a lot of times. Like, you heard the bit... The, a couple songs that you like and it's almost like you'd never get past those those couple songs and I, I think one thing that we've we've or i've noticed when doing this is you've kind of heard all these tracks that you've missed and it's like wow like it, it opens up a second life to all these albums Man, stupid asses that's what it says <laughs> <laughs> um so this track um it's a it's a good opener for side two um it's it's one of those songs that there, Def Leppard has these songs that, to me, it's it's almost like they let the vocals breathe. So you have the vocals, and then you hear the drums, like the guitars are almost like playing off of the guitar, the the vocals. They go back and forth, and to me, it's almost like there's there's too much time to breathe. Um, but it's it's a style thing. It's it's nothing that 
is wrong with the song technically it's just for me it becomes kind of formulaic in a way and the other part of this track that i i am also convinced about is that pete willis was the lesser of the two guitarists because this is this is his solo and i'm just not impressed um the rest of the song's good i like the chorus is great that that's what really takes this song to the next level is is i'm also like so convinced that one thing that that Def Leppard does so well and sometimes they suffer in other categories is they create these amazing choruses and then it's like the rest of the song is almost like an afterthought. Yes. That that is, there's there's a comment that I have of something similar to that on Pyromania. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about the same song. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, with what with whatever goodness comes out of You Got Me Running, it's Lady Strange it gets even better. You know, oh, I hundred uh, percent. You know, and it's yeah. like you know, I I didn't listen to you got me running, and I f- totally forgot about Lady Strange. I'm like, holy shit, where was this been? Where's this song been my entire life? You know, <laughs> I, I'm like, I was I really that stupid? Yes, I was. You know, Lady Strange. You know, intro lick leads into intro riff, which turns into the riff that's based on the intro lick. <laughs> you know, it's like all these. Things. Oh yeah, it's it's so like layered yes not layered in the sense of recording but layered in like there's these these concepts that are going on that just kind of interweave and it's really cool yes and and you know it's one of these songs i did not appreciate when i was younger you know and then listening to it i mean i i think lady strange and you got me running lady strange i listened to I want to say 30 40 times in that week when i got the the the, the remaster because it was just this is so good. You know, where was I? <laughs> you know, I mean, the song has got great melodies and great hooks, and it's just an absolutely killer song. Um, so, yeah, as good as You Got Me Running is and how it starts off side two or, or the second half of the album, Lady Strange is even better. So Yeah, I love the opening riff, and the vocal harmonies are really good. Um, what brings it to the next level to me, too, is that this is – possibly the best solo on the album it's a steve steve clark solo um it's it's surprisingly good for a track that's this deep into the album and it like i said it just it just takes it from you know the second tier to or like third tier to a second tier like really good song yeah and going back to something you mentioned um about pete willis not you know being the lesser of the two guitar players pete willis was fired from def leppard for being a raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Now, think of the irony. The other guitar player that they have was a raging alcoholic. But talent and the kind of raging alcoholic you are <laughs> determines, you know, whether you stay or not. And it's very similar mm-hmm. to how, you know, Metallica, you know, they were all raging alcoholics, but only one of them would turn into an idiot when he got drunk okay the other guys would turn into happy happy drunks one of them turned into an angry drunk and that one of them no longer is in the band so uh, he got sent home the first trip across america that's the kind of thing you know that 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 you can tell you know how how is it that a band puts up with one thing from one person and not from another you know and those are the small things that you realize 
and on top of that, he wasn't as talented as Steve Clark. You know, no, no mm-hmm. one near it. I mean, Steve Clark. I mean, how many people hold a guitar on their ankles and can still play as good as Steve yeah. Clark can play? I mean, that dude slung a guitar low. The tragedy, though, is that yeah, they kept him around, and unfortunately, continuing down that path is what eventually led to his death. Yeah. So there is there is a a downside definitely to it, and and uh, it is really sad that he died way too young. No, no. But he, he, yeah, it, this is way too long. Yeah, this is one of those albums that you're you're glad you have around to hear. You know that talent of somebody that's no longer with us. Oh yeah, I mean th- this this song oozes Steve Clark. I mean song, this album oozes Steve Clark all over the place, and and you could see where he shines. It's great, great stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on to the last couple songs or last three songs we have here, "On Through the Night," which is the title track to the previous album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we finally get the title track exactly. uh, from the last album um, it's a cool riff um the one thing that I, I found out really odd about this song it's got really long verses i mean there's a lot of words in this song and then you know it, it kind of you know drags the song out a little bit and you know it it, it brings it to the chorus the chorus is fine you know they're and then it goes back into this really long verse and then all of a sudden you hit to that breakdown bridge, you know, three quarters into the song and you've only got two choruses in it. And it's, you know, it is, um, it is the, the thing that the downside to the song for me was the fact that there were so many words in the verses and it did not really have a great melody to it. It was just a lot of singing. And so the song, yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's okay. But it's not great. My my biggest problem with it is that there's this really kind of sloppy sounding gallop to the song. And it sounds like it's supposed to be staccato, but it just comes across as just muddy. And I don't know. Something about that, like that rhythm, just turns me off of the track. I It's one that I've always skipped. Fair enough. You know, I... There are definitely better songs in the album. And and so mm-hmm. these last three songs, you can put them all together and that kind of thing. Um, mirror, Mirror, Look Into My Eyes. It's a mid-tempo song. It's got a cool groove. The chorus is cool. But to me, it's one of these songs where you're at the end of the album and it's like there's nothing special, that nothing that stands out for me on that song. So you just kind of let it play in the background and you wait till you get to the next song. You know. Yeah, it's Mirror Mirror is just one of those again that it's got a little bit of a catchy chorus, but that's about it. It's pretty mediocre. Right. Then there's No No No, which is an up tempo album closer type song, and yeah, so you got the energy come up, and you got this you know this chorus that says No No No, but really it's nothing other than one of these songs at the end of the album that you just kind of want to get over with, and that's why this song is so fast <laughs> in terms of Def Leppard. It is let's get the song over with type of thing. There's nothing special. I, I like the melody. I like the riff. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a fun closer. I wish it had been track eight. If this, if this came right after lady strange, it would be, it'd be actually pretty good. Yeah. But I, I it's, see that. it's, you've gone through the slog of two other songs that just are not good. And it, by this point, you're just kind of like, mm, you know, I want, like, yeah, I want it to be over. Yeah. You know, if like, if they flip, on through the night and no, 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 
you you kind of have a, uh, the sequence makes it a little bit better like that. Yeah, well, if it was just an eight track album, that too. Like Slay- <laughs> Slayer proved that you don't have to have the longest freaking albums for them to be just masterpieces. Um, so you make it a tra- eight track album. You leave out on through the night or put it on the first album, <laughs> and then and then mirror mirror just b side or something um and and you've got a pretty solid album exactly I, and i personally that when you th- when i look back on it me and my wine would probably have been a better song to put in mirror mirror's place you know? fair enough yeah you know yeah. because it's a it's got a cool um melody to it and the funny thing about it though when you listen to it it's one of those tracks me and my wine is one of those tracks where um the lyrics you can see it's there was something that they were just writing on the spot you know because some you know he's mm-hmm. referring to the lyrics of that song and it's so it's it's one of these weird things but it was a fun song for them and yet you know they a few years later they would go and remix it and re and re-release it as a single you know like a like a double a side because it was the b side to bring it on heartbreak so that would have been better served to be on the album and they should have made, you know, mirror, mirror a B side, but it is what it is at this point. It's been what? 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. 40 years this year. Yeah. I think it's a little too late to, yeah. to make those calls. <laughs> we can still, we can still change it. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to pyromania and you're going to do pyromania, but let's talk a little bit about it. It's same production, basically produced by Robert John Lang. It was recorded at Battery Studios again and also at Parkgate Studios in Sussex, England, and again released by Mercury Records. Um, The one note on this is that Pete Willis plays guitar on the entire album. He plays the rhythm tracks. Um, Phil Collin came in towards the end of the album after they fired Pete right before the sessions were over. He did some solos and some other guitar parts. Uh, So that's Phil's contribution to Pyromania. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a difference here for sure. You can hear a sound change. Um, Not a hefty one, but uh, Mutt Lang is more integrated. He has a songwriting credit on every song here. And you can tell that the studio is making some decisions on the the, kind of the sound change of the band. And that could be, you know, recognizing what their, their, you know, their big um that could be recognizing what the the audience is is kind of vibing to and getting into and saying you know if we go in this direction the band is gonna break loose and that's what happened mm-hmm. i mean that let's be honest that's that's what happened this album is full of anthems and it's just it's it's reaching another level uh, for the band. So starting things off, uh, rock, rock till you drop. It's a fun anthem that while a bit repetitive is just, it's obviously an owner uh, opener. It's just one of those tracks that it's, it's going to get everybody into the vibe. You know, um, I love the, the opening section of the song. I love how eighties it is. And I, it's, it got a melody. I kind of wish was repeated in the song a bit more. Um, it like when I hear the the very beginning of the song, it reminds me of like every eighties teen movie, you know, it's, it's got this, this just, 
sound to it that, that like I think of uh, vacation or you know uh, anything from the the Breakfast Club like the the what is it, what was their group called the Rat Pack, the Rat Pack or yeah. Brat Pack. Uh-huh. Um, so like I just have that that vibe about that you know um, it really sets the stage for what Def Leppard is all about for you know going forward from here because it's it's just changing from being a hard rock band to an arena rock pop metal band yes and it does feel very acdc and i think you have some some comments about that yeah i mean the one thing that that when you first hear this song um there's a there's a little bit like you say of 80sness to it. it it's a little goofy you know rock rock till you drop it's it's that feel good vibe that that songs have mm-hmm. um it's got a cool melody it's got a cool chorus you know it's got that sing along vibe to it um but the one thing i noticed right off the bat and you know this has everything to do with robert john mutt lang robert you know mutt for for what they call him produced highway to hell and he produced back in black and he produced for those about to rock those three albums have a distinctive sound. We're talking about it today. You know, the culmination, the best out of the three, obviously, was Back in Black. I mean, that's just the ultimate kind of album. Um, but you could see that, you know, Mutt took the band from Power Age, uh, talking about ACDC, excuse me. You know, he took ACDC from Power Age to Highway to Hell, and you could see how the sound improved. And then... You know, I, I don't know if it was the anger from from Bond's death or the the disappointment from Bond's death, but they they took the guitar sound from clean to distorted, and Mutt was able to enhance that, and it was a very clean sounding distortion. And Back in Black has that sound; it's so hard hitting. This album has a lot of distinguishing factors that are very similar. The background vocals, Mutt Lang has this signature type of sound. You know that the background vocals in Back in Black are predominantly Mutt Lang because the guys in ACDC are just like they bark. They don't they don't sing background vocals. They bark. <laughs> yeah. You know, listen to Dirty D's Dunder Cheap. You know, and so he brought a, a finesse to the background vocals, and he continued that style. Because he had five guys in Def Leppard that can sing. Def Leppard is, I mean, for whatever somebody wants to call them, whatever somebody wants to attack them in terms of their popularity or their pop music style or the fact that they 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 turn their back on heavy metal, however you want to look at it, those guys are talented, extremely talented, and they're very good musicians. And damn, they can sing. All of them can sing. Because if you talk to them, they'll tell you it's all of them who do their background vocals and they do it live. Now, you know, a lot of people will sit there and say it's processed, you know, and maybe there is a quote unquote process to coming up with that sound. But they will tell you when they sing those background vocals in concert nowadays, it is still them doing the vocals. So there's something to be Absolutely, said about that, yeah. you know. Um, so, yes, there the the sound that's on this album very distinctive. The the snare drum on this album is only I've only ever heard it on this album. 
and it's yeah it's it's so unique it is it's very unique and you hear it through the entire album no matter what kind of song now mind you most of the songs are played in the same key okay we get that that's just the, the way it is but the drum sound does not change throughout the entire the dr- album <laughs> yeah the drum sound just kind of like smacks you. yes it does like just it's it's there it's it's pushed to the front and it's there <laughs> right you know so to finish up on on you know rock rock till you drop it relatively basic intro in my opinion leads into a very cool chorus like i said before cool melody cool chorus it is a a uh, a great way to introduce fans old fans as well as new fans into the next chapter of Def Leppard and if you're an old fan you know what you you haven't been completely turned off yet you know if you're a new fan you're jumping on board right away you know so yeah they they transitioned things very well and you know there was no jump from one style to another you know it, it wasn't disarming it was it was just it wasn't disarming is the wrong word it was disarming because it it didn't allow fans to be triggered by such a drastic change. You know, the the difference between On Through the Night to uh, High and Dry, it's it's logical. The difference between High and Dry to Pyromania, it's logical. And then you take it from Pyromania to Hysteria, and it again, it's the same amount of distance between each one. Like if you had a tape measure and you were you were, you know measuring the distance between each one, like it would be equal equidistant. Right, I get you know, that. like yeah. um, so. Track two is Photograph, and this is just like who doesn't know Photograph? You know, <laughs> it's it's one of Def Leppard's hallmarks. It's been featured in multiple media, even games like Grand Theft Auto Five and Rock Band Three that it, that have been recent titles. Um, it, it was number one on the billboard for 16 weeks uh, and that makes just total sense um, to me it's like this song kind of encapsulates everything that is Def Leppard uh, you know 80s wrapped into one track um, Steve Clark's riffs are, are just excellent here and one thing that I really notice about this song is that it shows some of the dynamic range that Joe Elliott has. And one thing also, listen for the cowbell in this song because it's it's there and it really adds an element of like percussion to the music, but it's it's just it's one that sticks out because like I said the drums are pushed or you said the drums are pushed so forward that you can hear that cowbell like just perfectly in this song. <laughs> you know, it's funny I mentioned cowbell somewhere else on this um uh talking about pyromania i have i have some other cowbell information (laughs) and (laughs) well yes cowbell is very distinctive in this song i like that part about it this song what's not there to like about this song if you like def leppard you're gonna love this song for people who criticize it you know, it's it's because you've heard it a million times. I mean, it's still played today on the radio, left and right. They play it on classic rock. They play it on those stations that play anything and everything from the '80s. So it's played all the time. Um, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that listen to our show. They're going to get on your case, especially your case, because you like melodic death metal. But they're going to get on, you mm-hmm. know, our case about the fact that we're talking about Def Leppard. And you know, <laughs> regardless of that, Def Leppard was a early 80s heavy metal band that turned into a 
80s hard rock pop metal band that turned into a, you know, a hard rock band. Because they still play hard rock. I mean, they're not. But I think what what sets Def Leppard apart from a lot of other bands is that they just, they were kind of like forerunners to a lot of this stuff. And they were just genuine. And they, they also didn't wear, like, women's clothing and stuff like that. They were just... They were just dudes, you know, to a degree, and and so like there was there was like there's a difference between Def Leppard and a lot of the bands that followed that kind of mimicked their style, and even like my my metal fan or my death metal friends, they're all like you know Def Leppard's fun, like they're not a, they're not a you know right. a top tier band, but they're they're just fun, you know, like in their opinion, you know, for death metal guys, <laughs> like I I don't really know anybody that hates Def Leppard. You get more of the straightforward metal guys. Like back in the day, like you had to pick between thrash and pop metal. So the mm-hmm. thrash guys who liked Testament and Megadeth and Metallic and Slayer, they hate, or at the time, they had to hate Def Leppard. They had to hate Cinderella and all those But bands. I think maybe that they're older. They're probably just... They're just yeah, like us. You know, they're, like, you know there's, yeah. a, there's a time where they finish playing... They're just playing, fun. Yeah, they finish playing Slayer, and they're like, oh, let me go listen to some Def Leppard. You know, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> so, so this song... I, one thing I like a lot about this song, and besides the, the, the amazing medley... Oh, excuse me. Besides the amazing melody and the awesome riff, the song structure is really cool because it, especially... The transition from the verse to the pre-chorus to the chorus. There's a lot going on there, and especially that's where you 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 catch the cowbell coming in there on that and that pre-chorus part. So there's the, the song structure is what makes this song so cool. So I agree with you on that. It's it's a there's a lot there. All right. So track three is stage fright. Um, starts off with some some crowd noise emulating the arena vibe something that would be kind of become synonymous with the band. Um, while it has a recognizable chorus to me, it's kind of one of the weaker songs on the album. It is recognizable and it is, it is one of those that, that the, the chorus is really good, but just as a whole song to me, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, it, it, but on the other, like the flip side, it probably has one of the most complicated drum tracks on the album. <clears throat> So I don't know. Like I said, a mixed bag is is probably the best way I can describe it. It, it reminds me a little bit of No 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 from High and Dry, mm-hmm. um, but it's it, it's in a completely different place on the album, which I almost think this sh- maybe should have ended the album because it, of to me of the type of similarity that No 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 has. Okay, I can I can see that. Yeah. So it, it's it's weird where they placed it on this point in the album because it's song three, you know, and then to, and then the, the other weird part about it is to, to intro it with the crowd noise. And I get the whole thing that it's stage fright, but it's, there's something weird about that whole connection. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it's kind of one of the weaker songs of the album, but it's not a bad song. Yeah. I mean, the, just... the, the, to me, the, the similarities with no, no, no has, there's a lot to do with the attitude and the scream and yell and, and the, mm-hmm. the vocal style that Joe Elliott puts on the song. That's where to me, there's, there's those similarities. And then, you know, again, the chorus is good. It's the chorus is what makes the song as good as it is. Um, but at the same time, if this song has a different chorus, this song, this song tanks, you know, it's not anywhere near as good as what it could be 
but this chorus is what makes the song and, and it makes it an, a, an average song compared to what a bad song would have been like. Yeah. Uh, so track four is Too Late for Love. Uh, we get uh, some some diversity in the tracks here with uh, a dark power ballad. Uh, and I would say power ballad. You know, you kind of mentioned like the, the, they had kind of been forerunners to power ballads in the previous album. Um, this at this point, this is definitely that. Um, what I really like are the vocals uh, are given, you know, some really good room to breathe. I kind of mentioned that on the previous album that that's one thing that Def Leppard does. And when it's this kind of song, when it's a, when it's a moody ballad, having the room to breathe is really a, like to me a good thing. It shows like. that there's that separation and it shows the talent and and ability that Joe has and it gives the atmosphere, you know, a little bit more heaviness in a way. Um, So it's just really heavy and dark for a power ballad. And I really like it. I think it's a great track. Oh, it's an awesome track in my opinion. So I really like the vocal melody for this song. So I, 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 there's a lot to like about the way that they sang it because the the verses of this song are very wordy uh and so it the contrast with it is, is that the chorus is so simple because it's just you know it's too late for love there's not a lot uh that's being said there and so you have wordy chorus not so wor- i mean excuse me wordy verse and not so wordy chorus that that is a very good complement and good contrast that makes the, the song work and it was a big hit for them back in the 80s so you know, that's one of the reasons why it works because it's the way that contrast is built in. Yeah, it, it just it allows all parts of the band to kind of stand a little bit isolated and show that there's there's more to it. That like when you layer stuff, when you when you're um, playing all together, there's some aspect of it that's you can hide the, the you know you can hide parts of it that maybe aren't as good as the rest. And I'm not saying that that's the point. It's just what happens right, exactly. naturally. Um, but when everything's allowed to kind of breathe and be separated, um, it relies on the, not only the band, but the production to make sure everything is clean and, and good. And that's, that's what I like about this is that you can see uh, that there is more talent than just being a pop band that has catchy hooks and riffs. Exactly. All right. So track five is die hard, the hunter. And like, to me, this is just eighties action movie in a song. Um, I, I, I can't tell if these are at the beginning. It's like supposed to be war sounds or the sounds of a city in a war. Like it, 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 it makes me think of movies like cyborg, or Predator 2, you know, late 80s, early 90s kind of action film, like dystopian future films. It's it's funny, like it's just got this this vibe about it that's like that. So um, it has a simple yet really nice solo that fits right in. Um, right after the solo, there's a really cool riff that kind of repeats for a little while in the song. And I feel like that's the best part of the track. So... Um, what do you think about this one? You, you, when you were talking about dystopian 
you know, things. The first thing I think of is they, they probably just finished watching Mad Max one and two at the, at the yeah, time. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> um, Die Hard Hunter, it, it, we talk about songs that breathe. There's a lot of breath in this song because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of chorus. I mean, to the, the band, you know, coming together and doing that chorus, I mean, the harmonies that those five guys were, let's say six because Mutt was also one of the singers there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so clean and so perfect and of course it's a studio recording so it's going to be perfect you're going to make it perfect but still that is Def Leppard's signature sound and this song you know is literally tells you this is Def Leppard's signature sound our background vocals are going to sound like this forever you know because that's just the way they they totally laid it all out in this one song um it's an okay song nothing great about it um it's very. It relies a lot on those background vocals. This whole song, you know, especially mm-hmm. when they they're singing singing "Die Hard" the hunter. So, it, it, cool riff, but the song, to, in and of itself, is not that great. It's just average, you know. But you can see the production. You know, they put like a ton of work into this one song because of the background vocals. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree. Uh, so track six is "Foolin'." Uh, it's a melodramatic song that has elements of a ballad, but then kind of takes you into an arena chant. It's this is this mix of going from slow to kind of like fist pumping is something that Def Leppard does like no other band. Um, to the the build up to Phil Collins solo is so understated. And that when it finally happens, it's really impactful. It's not like the most killer solo, but it's like you keep getting this guitar buildup throughout the song. And that's what that's what like is kind of the the hidden um, masterfulness of this track is that there's just this like anticipation for the solo. Yes, I I completely agree with you with, with that. The. The thing about this song that I I think works really well is how it has that acoustic intro, acoustic verse that builds into the you know the the rest of the song or the rest of the the into the chorus you know and it turns it completely electric and then after the chorus it slows down back into that little you know very um, moody verse with the acoustic and then drives back into the electric part of it and then it drives into that solo which is which is incredible you know that there's this is the song i was talking about with the cowbell the the cowbell is featured heavily in the chorus on this song and so Mm -hmm. as you can tell they you know rick allen loved to use that cowbell (laughs) doesn't use it as much anymore (laughs) but um it was definitely one of those things that were featured in this album and it was on this song as well that was the one thing that was really big for me with this song is that the acousticness. The, there's that it's a very spacious song, and there's a lot of ambience to this song that is really cool in the verses, and then it just hits you really hard in the chorus. And I and I that's one of those genius things that it, masterful, as you were saying, about this song. Absolutely. All right. So track seven is "Rock of Ages." Um, I'll be honest. This is the the kind of Def Leppard song that just bores me. Um, <laughs> I get, I totally get why it's popular. 
It's all, but it's all flash and no substance. Like, it's just one of those tracks that, you know, like I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. You know, when it when it hits that portion of the song, I'm just okay. I get it. You're you're telling me that you want to rock and roll. Like I, I you know, I I I don't know. I just never got tracks like this that just. They're, they're, it, it's almost like they're appealing to a mass audience that, you know, you're you're at a concert, you're drinking, you're like, let's rock and roll, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I get it, like, give me more substance. So I totally get why people love it, not disparaging it, but for me, boring as hell. <laughs> All right. All I have to say about this song is Gunter Glieben Glauten Globen. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, the, 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 the goofy <laughs> intro. I like the intro because it's like you know it's kind of goofy and and fun, you know. But it's just I don't no. Know. In in reality, I think it's it's good for a band to have that side, that playful side to themselves, and to put it on the album, I think is cool. Um, Rock of Ages is. I mean, you also have to think of the time that it came out, so mm-hmm. it fits. Um, the song to me is the little brother to pour some sugar on me or, you know, which I also don't like. Right. And you don't like that song either. <laughs> but when you think about it, I mean, there's similar styles, the staccato vocals, you know, mm-hmm. going into these, you know, very melodic, very hooky choruses. So there's, there's that to it. Um, you know, it has a lot, to me, there's a lot of similarities to, to between this song and sugar. Um, the way the song ends, though, here's here's a weird thing about this song. To me, this song should have been the last song in the album. If you're going to put that fire burning sound at the end of a song that you, on an album that you named Pyromania, why are you going to do it in the seventh song in the album when you've got ten songs? <laughs> put that at the end. It doesn't. This song is good enough to be put anywhere one through ten. So that's not that's not the problem. So it sh- to me. When you, if you're going to end the song that way, you should put you should put it last, and that way you have finished burning the whole album. You know, <laughs> that's that's just the way I saw it. The song itself is great, but well, considering that you say that, <laughs> the next two tracks don't do anything for me. <laughs> you know, I I get why Rock of Ages is there, and I I agree it should be the last track on the album. Um, but coming under fire, um, I like that. Song. I, I'm kind I kind of wonder why, like if, if people have ever even heard this track, that, that's, <laughs> you know, this is one of the songs that I learned to appreciate at, you know, 30 years later coming, yeah, under, coming under fire has got a really cool, cool chorus. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's fine. It's it, to me, it's better than rock of ages, but, <laughs> um, but it's one of those like you've you've already kind of like in a way burned the bridge with with Rock of Ages. <laughs> so like, why are people going to listen to the last three tracks? Yeah, I mean they sh- they shot their wad. I, yeah, I get it, and, and I agree because you know when you look at the last three songs, "Coming Under Fire" definitely should have probably been played somewhere between "Too Late for Love" and "Foolin'," somewhere around there. It's too similar to "Foolin'" though. That's the problem. Is it you have a track that actually sounds 
very similar to Foolin. So it does have to have a little bit of space between it. Otherwise, you got to, like if you put them right next to each other, you would feel like okay, these are these are way too similar. They could have put it there, but straight stage fright, and they could have thrown stage fright right before Rock of Ages or after Rock. Yeah, of Ages. yeah, I, I, yeah. There's definitely some some moving around of of songs. We're that, gonna, I'm that gonna have to have. talk to their producer and have this rearranged for us later. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> a new a new order. <laughs> yeah. Um but action not words to me is it's just kind of nondescript. You know, it's it's the typical song on towards the end of the album that um you know, it never really reaches the heights of the other tracks. Yeah, um, I called it's it a there basic song. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a it's a filler, you know. Even though like it the solo is is not even that great. You know, it's just, it's just, I, I don't know. Moving on to, <laughs> <laughs> to Billy's got a gun. Um, so just like no, 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 I kind of wish this was like, this was just like an eight track album. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I agree with you. Rock of Ages should have been the last track on the album, but this should have been track seven, because it's not amazing, but it has, the, it has a mood. It has the same kind of mood that ties into some of the earlier tracks, like like stage fright or too, too late for love. Um, like it has that same vibe to it and that like the synth is there and there's some of the riffing that like the riffs that were written by Steve Clark that, that just tie it better into the album than say coming under fire or an action, not words have. And so while it is to a degree, a filler, it's, it's still a good song. in, in, in comparison, like if you, if you slot it in, in a different order, and leave out those two tracks. Like I think it's again a really solid album. Yeah, I I don't like the song I guess as much as you do. Um, mm-hmm. To me, I I didn't pay attention to this song enough in, mm-hmm. in, in then or now. Um, the vibe that I got from this song was that it was sort of like Def Leppard's take on a western. I don't know if I'm if I'm just dreaming that up or whatever, but. Um, and it, it, part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, Billy's got a gun. Um, but again, it, it's a basic song, much like action, not words. It, to me, it's, it's slower than action than not, you know, than, than that song it suffers from the same fate where there's just not a lot that stands out to me. Mm-hmm. What I, what, what I found weird about the song is how it ends and it goes into that electronic drumming. It, yeah. it makes it, it makes absolutely no sense to me. But here's the funny thing about that electronic drumming: if you pay attention to it enough, it sounds like something that's going to come four years later on Hysteria. You know, yeah. it has a lot of that sound, which is weird because the reason why Hysteria has that sound is has nothing to do with why this song has that sound. Hysteria has a sound because Rick Allen lost his arm and they had to go with electronic drums. You know, and so why this song has electronic drums that have that similar sound? I mean, either either that or you know, m- love that sound so much that he said, "Hey, this is what we want to make your electronic drum sound drum kit sound like." You know, maybe that was it. It just to me, it makes no sense. That's why I think Rock of Ages should have been in that spot, and you know, fade out with the burning sound of that whatever is burning. So. It just, I found it to be extremely weird the way that album ended, you know, with that song. 
Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I still like it. I probably have a lot more experience with it than you do because I, you know, just having been one of those guys that listens to album from beginning to end, um, despite sometimes an album being so painful to get to <coughs> the, the end. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's a difference in that in that regard and it's something that you've opened up to more and i'm I'm really glad that you you enjoyed some of those tracks like you got me running and and lady strange because i think you know it shows that sometimes you know when all you're looking for is like the the big hits you miss out on some really cool gems let me tell you i missed you know what song i missed out on until it became a single blind melons no rain I never got wow. Past, I never got past song three because I I, I love those first three songs. So I just kept listening to them, and then all of a sudden they come out with that single "No Rain." I'm like, where the hell is this on the album? And I think it's song six, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm like, wow, it's really deep into the album to come up with that song because that song sounds nothing like the rest of the album. That's the weird yeah. part about it. And so that and that had a lot to do with why. You know, like I, I heard songs four and five, so I'm like, oh, okay, you know, they're, they're not as good as one, two, and three, so why bother? And then you get to song six, and it's a completely different song. No mm-hmm. rain, and it, I mean, obviously, we all know what no rain is like, and it's got that incredible hook and incredible melody to it. But this, you know, like for for songs like Lady Strange and and You Got Me Running, to me. Coming Under Fire falls into that same category. I like the chorus a lot on Coming Under Fire. You know, so you may not enjoy it as much, but I, I'm actually enjoying it more now. And I've heard it on the radio a bunch, especially on, on the classic rock station that we have here in Houston. I hear it a lot on there. So that's where I kind of picked up on it again. So they they play the crap out of the song. That's all that really matters is, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what I like versus what you like. The, the the thing about the music is that it can hit you in any kind of way and you can you can get something out of it that maybe nobody else does and that's what i love about music is it there is so much to it like the, the the emotions that it can channel just based on life experiences whatever like music is 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 it is a sense like nothing other i yeah i i agree with you when you in that sense, I mean, music, music is the one thing in this world that can just move somebody in such a way that it makes you cry without even hearing words, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that, that to me, that's, that's what makes music so amazing. You're not even hearing someone say something that makes you get emotional. Someone's playing something that gets you emotional. You know, whether it's a guy playing a million notes and and he puts it in together in such a way that it just hits you in the heart. Or if it's a guy who hits one note and it sounds like someone's crying. Those, Mm -hmm. that's the amazing thing about music. And, and I love that about music Dude, forget the words i the music is what moves me most of the time all right so that brings us to which album we think is better um what do you what do you what, what's your opinion 
So for me, um, based on a few select tracks that that really just hit me in a, like I guess a little bit deeper than the others, and then just the actual sound of the band at the time. Um, I think High and Dry is is my favorite of the two. Um, I think for me, there's there's a little bit more rawness there. There's there's something about how the direction they took with Pyromania, where you have the producer getting involved and kind of dictating what the sound of the band's going to be. Um, there's something to me that's that is lost a little bit, and I don't know if that's that's maybe at that point Steve had gotten more into drinking and, and had, had more issues and wasn't as involved with some of the, the riff writing. Um, I don't know all the specifics of it, but I can tell there's a difference and I'm not, it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I don't like it as much. So I, I have to go with high and dry. I hear you on that. And I agree with you on that. I, there to me, high and dry there's something about it that makes it better. I would almost say that Pyromania as a, as a whole has better songs, like or maybe more better songs, if you want to put it like that. Um, but as a collective unit, there's something about the emotion that's in and the rawness that's in High and Dry that to me makes it a better album. Mm-hmm. So I, that, I, I like that. Um, and and uh, probably also for me the, the nostalgia of the fact that it was it was the first stuff that I heard from Def Leppard that may also have a a, a subconscious part in it, but definitely in, in my opinion, High and Dry takes it, takes it over Pyromania in this particular case. And I know there's probably going to be a million people out there going, "What are you crazy?" <laughs> you know. So, but that's just that's our opinion. You like it? If you don't like it, tell us. Let us know. Give me a comment. On, on Instagram, give me a comment on Facebook. Tell me you like Pyramidium better. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. That brings us to our big four Def Leppard songs. All right. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I think I go first this time. Yeah, go ahead. So this is a weird one because I had a lot of difficulty with one particular song that I wanted to put in my big four. But in the end, I had to leave it off. Um, And this is going to sound so kind of like, oh, you're so stuck in this one time period. And you know what? When it comes to Def Leppard, I'm going to say, yes, I am. But here's my precursor. All four songs come off of these two albums. (laughs) So so that'll tell you everything you need to know. Song number four is Photograph. Uh, from Pyromania. Um, we talked about the song just a few minutes ago. It is, to me, this is the best song that's on Pyromania. Um, but there's one other song from Pyromania that's ahead of it, and there's a reason for that. Um, song number three, for me, Rock of Ages, your least favorite Def Leppard song in the album. <laughs> um, Again, I I don't hate it. It's just... It doesn't do anything for me. Right. It, it it's one of those like, if I'm if I'm in a car and I'm listening and it pops on, like I might you know jam out to it. But it's like that's the last time I want to hear it for the year. <laughs> well, it's my number three song because I think it's a really kick ass. It, it's an arena rock song, 
like you mm-hmm. were mentioning, and it's the it's that kind of fist pumping thing to get everybody up and vibing and, and moving and driving. So I think that's where it works really well. Number two for me is bringing on the heartbreak. Um, that is by far between this and the number one song. I mean, two favorite Def Leppard songs, hands down. Um, I love this song. I don't care that it's a power ballad. I mean, better for it. Um, the one song that I had trouble leaving off this this list would have been my number four song was going to be Love Bites because I really, really, really like that song. And you and I were talking about it earlier, how much you like that song. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Photograph, it was to me, Photograph is such a good song. I had to, I had to put it in there. Um, and my number one song is just the most killer riff that they have, Let It Go, Leads Off High and Dry. It is such an amazing song to me. I love that song. So the, those are my four songs. I couldn't get past 1983 when, on this one. So this is really bizarre <laughs> because we never t- we never talk about these. Before. No, we we Man. never ever talk about these songs. So the only thing we don't have in common is our number three. Our number one, two, and four are the exact same. Wow. The only the only difference is I cheated. My number two is bringing on the heartbreak. Slash switch to 65. And the only reason I did that is because to me, for the longest time, I didn't even realize they were different songs. I thought it just went straight into the, 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 you know, the next part of the song. And I just thought it was one track. You know why that's funny? Because here, so here in Houston, when I moved here and I, and I heard that song on the radio, they play the two songs together. Exactly. Wherever else I have been, so New York and Miami, whenever I've heard that song on the radio, they cut it off. They just fade it I, out. At the at I the literally baseline. always thought they were the same song, <laughs> so that's why I that's why I cheated this time, and I have a big five. But no, I'll, I'll I'll let that. I, I can understand <laughs> that. You know, it's sort of like Heartbreaker and and, uh, and um, Living Love and Made with Led Zeppelin. You kind of have to keep those two songs together. Yeah, or we are the yeah. champions, and we will rock you. They have to be. Yeah, the, those have to be together. Right. Come on. Right. So, um, so m- let's go over my list in, in its entirety. So I'll, I'll just kind of gloss over them. Um, my number four is photograph, uh, f- same reasons, you know, we mentioned earlier. Um, my number three is rocket off of hysteria. Hyst- Rocket's one of those songs that I remember, um, you know, for, for nostalgic reasons. And it always just kind of stuck, stuck with me. And then there's when he says drums and guitar, it it like kills me. It just the way it said, it drums. It just, it's just I don't know. Something about it just makes me happy and laugh. You know. So I just I love I love that song. Maybe not for the best reasons, I guess. But I don't know. It just it's one of those that always sticks with to me. To me, there's a and slight then, there's a slight ode to Bon Scott in that when he says kind of guitars. yeah. You know. There's there there's definitely there's early. De- Def Leppard has some ACDC connections in a way. Yes. My number two is Bringing on the Heartbreak slash Switch 625 off of High and Dry. Like I said, to me, they're the same song. Um, and then my number one is Just Like Yours, Let It Go. That is so weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> it, it, because, you know, if you're listening out there, Chris and I sit across from each other at work and we talk all day long about this shit. And when it comes to the show, we never talk about the show. We never talk about what we're going to talk about on the show. 
mm-hmm. which is funny. So we, we say, you know, I'll, I'll say, Hey, what do you want to, what do you want to talk? You know, what do you want to talk about? You know, Oh, today we're going to do Def Leppard, you know, high and drivers, Pyromania. And that's about it. We, we come up with, yeah, the we subject. come up with the concept, exactly. And the then, concept, yeah. the subject. And then we sit there and say, Oh, what, what's the big four going to be? And we come up with whatever it is, album songs or whatever it may be. And from there, we never, ever talk about the song again. You don't tell me your freshly forged or online pick of the week, and I never tell you my rusty metal. So it's all it's all a surprise to both you and I when we do this. So it is absolutely amazing that in the times that we've all we've done all these sixty something shows, how many similarities our big fours have. Um, there's mm-hmm. been very few that have been absolutely different. I mean, maybe like two or three tops, where it's yeah. completely four different songs. So it's it's a pretty cool thing. We have a lot of similarities in that. So I have fun with that. I think that's pretty neat. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's our big four for tonight. Chris, let them know what's up. All right. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Remember, if you like what you heard today, be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment. Make sure to tune in to the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth Dean and myself, stay safe. And remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.